All right, let's uh, let's get started. I'm just gonna pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of getting to come and worship you, and we thank you for how much you love to be with us, uh, no matter where we're at, no matter how our week's been, that you love and delight in coming and, and meeting us, and that you're so faithful and consistent to be here. And so we ask, God, that your word will come and release inspiration and release unction, God, and to uh, open up places, to cast light on places that have been dark, God, and give us definition for the journey and open up, God. And we just, I just pray specifically, God, that you, um, you break glass barriers tonight, God, glass windows that have kept us in certain places, God, and you release uh, permission and freedom to go into new places um, where you're taking us as your sons and your daughters. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I get into the sermon, uh, I actually have, are the kids not released? I believe they're released. <laughs> Robin, you are released. <laughs> the last, the last child, <laughs> who I love dearly. <laughs> um, I, I, before I get into the sermon, I actually, uh, we've been praying uh, as a leadership team, felt like uh, we wanted to um, give a financial update to the church. Um, one, and just to kind of cast some definition, this is exciting times, a lot of, thing is ch- a lot of things are changing. Uh, if any of you were here, what was it, two weeks ago, uh, you saw that we had no more space and we're very close to capacity, and so just a lot of things um, from a ministry standpoint, uh, Pastor Jamie uh, coming on board and Susanna, like just, the, we're in a huge time of change and a lot of good change and a lot of growth, uh, which is exciting. Uh, And in all of that growth, uh, there are some new demands and some new needs, and and it's stretching us in a lot of different ways. And uh, we're in the process. The last three weeks, we're gathering information. We're building infrastructure, and we're preparing for both a physical change where there will either be a new building or double services, and and we'll more fully articulate all of that once it's finalized. Uh, but you can be in prayer for that, please, because uh, it can be a little stressful, especially with India looming. I'm like, God, did you have to time up that with changing all of this other stuff? But uh, he's in it. Um, but it's, it's exciting, but it's a lot of work. Um, but finan- financially, uh, it is putting some needs on us. And so um, just to kind of give you a heads up, uh, we're not going to take an offering tonight. Uh, I have no uh, desire or intention to try to, like, manipulate or try to get anybody to give. Like, this is purely uh, to give information and to really ask you to partner and pray as what is your role um, within this. So there's no uh, no offering being taken. Um, I'm simply trying to uh, just try to communicate our need. Does that sound good? Um, so... Really, there's three areas uh, where, we, uh, where we have need. The first one is in missions. Uh, with India, we ended up, uh, they actually came back, and the budget was about, I think it was, they came back, the budget increased by $18,000 from what we originally agreed to. And we ended up cutting that down a little bit. Uh, but uh, we ended up uh, um, approving a budget for them that was uh, at least $10,000 over what we, um, what we had budgeted for that. Um, and that was for the reason, uh, specifically, it was to get pastors from remote regions. Karnataka, where we'll be, is the most persecuted region of southern India for Christianity. And they wanted to bus pastors and bus villages and get people that are hungry for the word of God there, house them, feed them. Um, and, you know, they don't have money there. And so we had a hard time saying no and refusing hunger. So we've committed to that. So there's about a $10,000 uh, need there. Uh, second one uh, is staffing. We have five, 
um, part-time employees at this church and the needs, like I said, building infrastructure is, it's just ramping up at a very rapid pace, um, which is amazing and exciting and we love it. Um, but my desire, and I'm actually gonna remove myself um, from the other four of them for a second. Uh, zero of this money, there's the plan uh, for the growth of the salary is there will be no more money coming to myself. So I'm not up here asking for you to uh, increase my salary. I have a luxury that all four of them don't, which is uh, I'm a young single man and I can live on a part-time salary. Uh, so it's really my joy to minister part-time um, and that's the plan. So I, the, I've told them uh, as a leadership team, we're, we're planning other people will be making more money than myself. I don't say that in any type of bragging way, but simply to say uh, that the desire is to meet the needs the best that we can so that we can continue to facilitate what God's doing. Um, and so uh, with that, there's about a $30,000 need that will get um, each one of them to a different place. And there's, there's different priorities and timelines of how things will go. Um, but we do have a financial need uh, to get more hours simply because we have, like, every, every single person is working more than they're being paid. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a whining thing. It's our joy. Um, but you start looking down the road and you're like, okay, it's a need. So that. And then lastly, with facility, um, we don't have an exact number on what the facility need will be simply because we're still in negotiations of what it would look like to go double service here. Um, but even going double service here, we don't still don't have a, a ton of capacity with that, with how things would go. And it would be a lot of change and differences. So, um, you know, we're planning to go there unless a building uh, opens up, basically. And regardless, there's going to be a financial um, increase. We've had the pursuit's been really gracious to us. We've had really good uh, just a, a, it's been a cheap way to, to rent a space from the beginning, but uh, things are changing. So uh, we foresee at least around another 10000 there. Uh, so in all, um, that's about a $50,000 uh, need. Um, how it would work uh, is if it's given, if anybody feels led to give, we'd ask that you give it as an offering and give it online. Um, you can give it in check, whatever, and it will be uh, basically distributed in a greatest need basis. So that's what we call, we don't, we're not going to, because... With church planning, there's always these needs that are shaking, so we we'd prefer that it would just be given as a general offering and trust that we would um, uh, apply it to the greatest need. Um, so I just, response for how you can respond to everything I just said. Um, the first is honestly the most important, which is prayer, and I don't say that in a cliche way. Um, I believe, like, we've never, um, we don't, you know, we don't, I'm not a self-promoter. I, I really despise self-promotion. And so um, I, I, my desire is that it's Jehovah Jireh. We want the Lord to provide. And so that's why there's literally zero desire and zero pressure for anyone to, like, give. We're not trying to force that. We want it to be a spirit-led and, and know that it's coming from the Lord. Um, he's building this house, not man. This is a house that God's building. So really, we just, we, we would love your prayers. And so that's the most important thing that you can give is prayer and really pray and remind him of his promises. You will provide according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Um, so we would love that you would partner with us in prayer. Um, second, if you have any questions, you can ask myself. Uh, you can ask Johnny Glisson, who gave uh, he's the treasurer of the church. He gave the uh, offering tonight. Um, any questions, we'd welcome those. Um, lastly, I know some of you are spontaneous givers, and you just want to get it off when the Lord tells you. So if he's speaking to you even now, there will be two ushers at the end of the service with buckets at the door, and you can write a check and give that to them if you desire. Uh, and lastly, um, uh, it was mentioned in the announcements, you can buy merchandise. Um, out there, they have sweatshirts, um, hats, and tank tops, and some t-shirts as well. And every, um, all the proceeds from that will go straight to India specifically. So... I think I hit all my points. Does that make sense?
All right, thanks, guys, and uh, yeah, I'm just, Lord, we just pray that, uh, and we declare that you're Jehovah Jireh, that you, uh, where you guide, you will provide, and so we trust you, and we thank you that you have a plan, that you speak, and that you'll lead us as a people on how, uh, how to meet the needs of the church and to grow according to the plan in your heart, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, that's the first time I've ever done that, so <laughs> hopefully I did all right. Um, so I have a testimony I want to read. This is just kind of cool. I felt like sharing this, but there's a, there's a pastor up here from California a few weeks back, and you know we've said from the beginning we felt like there was a call on Riverhouse to be a church that blesses churches, and we've always had different you know churches and different pastors in this building on Sunday nights, um, but he sent me this text this week, and I just it encouraged me. I thought it encouraged all of us because um, it was really like a, it was, he got touched by many people throughout the night because I talked to him more, and he said, yo. On my way home from Boise, I was talking with my wife, and I said that I want to see what I saw at Riverhouse happen here. Uh, he's a pastor, like I said, in Orange County. He said, I prayed and felt like God said, you're bringing something back with you, something the church needs. So the Wednesday night we got back, we had a worship night at our church, and the presence of God was so thick in the room that people stayed in worship two hours after the event was supposed to be over. Families were crying and worshiping together on their knees. People came to me and said, I've never experienced anything like this before. God did amazing things in the families with the middle school students. Then on Sunday, I looked at our children's director, and I said, I think God's going to do something in the kids today, because he had seen the children on the ministry team post-service. Our children's director got a word of knowledge about a kid having a gift of healing. The kid stepped out in faith, prayed for a board member who was in horrible back pain, and he was healed on the spot. <laughs> said, then on Sunday, more people came up and asked for prayer than ever before. He said, it's been crazy. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. That just blesses my heart. All right, so now I'm actually going to preach. Does that sound good? Who's ready to hear the word of the Lord? Me too. All right, so tonight uh, we've been, you know, we've been on this identity sonship, uh, but really I, I even before that the whole gain, the whole um, kind of thrust behind all this is we want to be a people of mission. And I felt like the Lord's really like continue to lay groundworks that produce healthy and effective mission. Um, the last four or five weeks have been about that preparing the groundwork. And I ended last week that essentially, uh, once you believe, you know, your dream and your identity and it's attached to it, is good stewardship of the call of God on your life in the future, your destiny looks like something missional today, right? Remember that? Yeah, okay. I'm really convinced. Anyways, you can listen to the podcast if you don't. I promise I said it. Uh, so this night, I'm more just going to hit the, the nail on the head. I'm going to talk about what is effective mission. What is the, the how, how does Jesus do effective mission, and how are then we called to do effective mission? Uh, R.T. Kendall, many of you have probably heard this quote. He's a theologian in the church, an old man, a very, very gifted uh, uh, theologian. He says that there's been a silent divorce in the church of Jesus Christ between spirit and word. Talks about the people in the Word. They want solid exegesis. They want solid theology. They want, uh, you know, just good, solid biblical teaching. And he says that everything about that is good. We do want that. It says on the spirit side, they want the Book of Acts. They want signs, wonders, miracles. They want the same vibrancy in life and effectiveness as the early church. He says once again, nothing's wrong with that. But the problem is, is there's two camps. It's been the silent divorce, and a lot of them shoot arrows at one another. And I'm sure. That many of us, if not every single one of us in this room, have experienced that in some way. I have. And 
the reason I start with that is because I believe the, the formula for effective mission is the marriage of both of those things. And R.T. Kendall talks about that when spirit and word are married, it's going to result in a spontaneous combustion that will breed a third great awakening to this nation, which is what we all want to see. Uh, Roland Baker, another theologian, missionary in Africa, uh, he says that you know, the kingdom is both and more. And I believe for some reason there's been an attack to divide this, and we, we feel like, even though we wouldn't express it, we, we find ourselves either saying, like, we resonating, like, I either need this and not that, or that and not this. And I'm just here to say tonight, uh, the Bible teaches it's both. Amen. Both and more. Power and purity. And that's really, uh, that's really what I feel like is effective mission. It's a uh, mission is a life of power and purity a life that's rooted in the word and a life that is emanating with the Spirit's power. And so uh, that's not uh, something that you drift into. I believe it's something that it takes a lot of intentionality, both from a, um, uh, like a strategic think, and it's really it's a, it's a walk that we must steward. And so my hope tonight is to give language and definition that can help us kind of carry and maneuver and uh, navigate this mandate of purity and power. Does that sound good? What about the rest of you? <laughs> okay. I'm just making sure you're awake, because last week you were all looking at me with like deer in the headlight eyes, and I'm just hoping that means it's good, but it's hope at that point. So, uh, There's two terms that are used a lot when it talks about uh, particularly the Holy Spirit, and they're kind of, um, they've kind of been split, but I think they're two sides of the same coin, but one is sanctification, which is really used in the holiness movement. Uh, to about a, a work of grace where the Holy Spirit comes and purifies a heart. Uh, and then the spirit baptism, right, is um, in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. It's talked about when you're activated with the gifts of the Spirit. You following me? Um, and it can leave you sometimes kind of confused, like how many works of grace are there, right? Like there's salvation, sanctification, spirit baptism. Are they the same? Are they different? Like, has anybody ever had or thought these questions? Kind of like, there's just seems like there's a lot. Like, I can't really get, like, what's the path that I go on to become like Jesus, right? Um, and I think it's a valid question. I think it's uh, supposed to be a question because it's not a formula. Uh, Jesus, uh, there's, a, there's a guy named Leif Heitland. He's a missionary to the Muslim world. And uh, he has a book called uh, The Baptism of Love. And he talks about the trifold baptism of Jesus, which I'd never heard before until I read his book. And basically saying that when Jesus is baptized, um, you can read it. Uh, it. He's first baptized into the water, right, which would signify for us like a salvation work of grace. Then he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes like a dove and rests upon him, which we would probably say is like a Holy Spirit baptism work of grace. And then uh, the Father actually speaks over him publicly in front of everyone. And we miss this sometimes because, like, like imagine that I was standing right here and a voice from heaven cries out, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'd be like a stick of butter on a frying pan. Be like, oh, yeah, yeah, he loves me, right? Like, that, that was a powerful experience in and of itself. And so he's baptized in the love of the Father. Uh, and Leif Heitland writes more about that. Um, so, again, there's multiple works of grace at plan. Um, and, then, and then the disciples, we talk about, like, you know, a lot of times there's this question, are you filled with the Spirit? As if, like, do you have it or do you not have him? 
Um, but it's interesting, if you read the book of Acts, they're filled in Acts 2, and then the same disciples are filled again in Acts 4.31, and then in Acts 13.50.52, it's kind of my favorite, it's like, the, it's like the cherry on top, it's like, and then the disciples were continually filled in the Holy Spirit. So you're like, how many times do I got to get filled, right? Like, you know, am I filled or am I not filled? I don't know. Like, I was there, but am I, t- like, right? Like, there's this sense of progression, Okay, so it can get confusing in our minds. And why I mention all of that is I, I just would like to kind of throw out there that as it pertains to the work of grace, the works of grace, sanctification, spirit baptism, salvation, the Father's love, like God is endlessly creative in how he accomplishes his work in us. The reason that you can't figure out formulaically is because there's no formula. And we've tried a lot of different formulas that works for a season but like God then reinvents himself because we have to view God like the master artist that he is, right? And I wouldn't like look at Jody and be like, Jody, you painted that the wrong way because there's only like two ways that you can paint a picture. Like you'd be like, no, that's not true. <laughs> there's, like, there's like a thousand ways you can paint a picture. There's impressionists. There's people that like get golf balls now and just hit them into canvas, right? There's people that like slop it all on and you pay like a million bucks for it. Don't understand that, right? But like artists are constantly reinventing how they do their craft. Are you following me? God is the most, he's the master artist. He's the most creative person in the universe. And so how he accomplishes his masterpiece, which is to form his son in us, is endlessly creative. So there's things like we can find definition, like, okay, there's, there's like, you know, there's core elements in all of this, but it's a highly relational process. So I say it all to, to be in is that to be a people of power and purity, your story and journey is not going to look like somebody else's, right? And there's a lot, like, it's, it's a work of grace, um, but it, it, we have to kind of have a grid. And so I'm hoping to just kind of like create a grid that's like, oh, wow, okay, there's this thing for me and this for me. Like there's a lot out there as far as what God wants to accomplish in me. I remember I was in college and I had gone through like a couple years of really walking with the Lord and he was dealing with sin stuff. And I remember like all the sin stuff had been gone for like six months. I was like free, maybe a year. I don't remember. I was doing really well, spending a lot of time with Jesus. And I remember after like this, this one day, it's the stupidest thing I think I ever said to God I was like yeah what's what's left now like I'm good (laughs) right like so stupid but the problem was wasn't like it wasn't a heart problem the problem was is I had no grid for all these works of grace that God wanted to accomplish in me it was just like I'm saved and I'm not sinning anymore to my knowledge right you guys looked at me real serious right then (laughs) It was like I said something wrong. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, so, that kinda, so God's work is progressive as well. That's, a, that's something I think when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to spirit baptism, when it comes to understanding the love of the Father, when it comes to understanding all these things, is it's a progressive journey. And there's real big mile marker experiences, you know, where like you're like, this is where I am. You see the road map. Like you have these powerful experiences. But still, there's more. There's always more. There's always more with God. And, you, you know, until we look like him, there's more. Right? And so I think uh, that's, as a people, we're, just, we're on a pilgrimage, and we're going still. We're not static. We're not just camped around. Oh, I had this experience. I'm good. Right? Like, no, I want to go deeper. I want to look like him more. All right. So 
with that now, what is Jesus' mission strategy? I want to read a few verses. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew um, chapter 4. And then I also want you to open up to Mark 16. We'll just read those two together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a, a handful here real quick. So Matthew verse, chapter 4, verse 23. Um, Jesus has a mission strategy, and it is very consistent throughout all mission strategy in the Bible. And that strategy is called proclamation and demonstration. All right, and I'm going to read here Matthew 4, verse 23. If you're in Malachi, you need to go right. If you've hit Ephesians, you need to go left. Matthew 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So he's proclaiming with his mouth and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So he proclaimed the message, and then he demonstrated the message. Uh, there's a very similar verse in uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 5. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Then in Matthew 8, he immediately goes and heals a leper. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 9.35 has a similar verse. Mark 1, 21 through 23 has a similar verse. Luke 5.17 has a similar verse where it's linking and marrying proclamation of the kingdom with a demonstration of the kingdom. Okay? So you say that's Jesus. That is Jesus. Uh, now, the second generation of Christian disciples are, of course, the disciples of Jesus himself. Sometimes it's in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, uh, Jesus uh, sends out the disciples. Sometimes it's 70, uh, and he sends them out. And he tells them the same thing. And, and I believe in Matthew, he says, uh, heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Uh, in Luke, he says, proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. I don't know why it's a reverse order, but again, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Proclaim it and demonstrate it. Demonstrate it and proclaim it. All right? Then uh, we all wanted to read this verse in Mark 16 because I really like this one. It's the Great Commission. And uh, we'll just read uh, chapter uh, 16, uh, 15, verse 15 and 16. And this is uh, Jesus. It says, uh, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who is believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, pick up serpents. Haven't tried that one yet. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Keep going here. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the, word, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. They proclaimed, and then he confirmed it through the demonstration. Right? Okay, well, that's the disciples of Jesus. Now let's go third generation, Apostle Paul. Um, I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I wish more Christians today would stand upon that. My message is not just with wisdom. I'm not trying to persuade you into my philosophical belief of how you live life. 
I don't want your faith to rest on my argument. I want it to rest on the demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Right? If you want more examples of what that looks like, read Acts 14.3, read Acts 19.1 through 11. as talking about Jesus or talking about how Paul would do a message of proclamation and demonstration. Okay, that's Apostle Paul. Let's keep going. Let's go fourth generation now. Talk about Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul is writing to his spiritual son. Thank you. Timothy. And he writes to him. And in 2 Timothy 3.5, is that what I said? Yes. He, he's warning him about the things that are going to come after he's gone. He's giving like, his, like, a, like a prophetic statement to prepare yourself for the next generation of leadership in the church. And he says it within this, it's a long list of things. But he says, they will hold to a form of godliness, but deny its power. So Paul already foresees, and he's speaking to his spiritual son. Don't lose the power of God. It's proclamation. And demonstration. Amen? So, what happened? A lot of people say this now because uh, a lot of people don't agree with this message in the body of Christ today. And I think it's unfortunate. And uh, the people that usually don't agree with it are people that they'll say, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen God move. I haven't seen God's power. So how can I believe in it? Right? And it's, I'm not uh, coming down on people. I was, I was raised um, that way. And I had kind of get a... Uh, Lord had to get a hold of me to really change. And it was a long time of even accepting that God actually wanted to move. He wanted to demonstrate his message. That was not even a concept that I ever even was aware of. I had read the Bible, but I never saw those verses. It was like they didn't resonate in my mind, didn't even cognate. Uh, and people will say, a lot of the people that are, uh, uh, there, there would be proponents of a cessationist argument, right, which is that the gifts ceased, that God stopped moving in that way. They say, well, the gift stopped for 1,500 years. Because a lot of the, the recordings, uh, they stopped in mainstream kind of Christianity, Roman Catholicism, uh, and as far as like corporate recorded, they say the miracle stopped about 200 A.D., right? And then they started again about 1905 in Azusa Street in Los Angeles and also in North India with a woman named Pandita Ramabai who set the world on fire. Um, I don't know why I'm getting emotional right now, but people say they stopped, they stopped. Um, and the truth is that they never stopped. Um, there's a theologian named Sam Storms. You can go to his website. Lots of documentation. Lots of people have documentation on this. But I'm just going to read a list of uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit and active throughout the centuries of the church. Um, St. Benedict of Nursia, a life of miracles in the 6th century. St. Patrick of Ireland, 5th century, life of miracles. John of Egypt in the 4th century. Pacomius in the 3rd century. Bernard of Clairvaux in the 11th century. Bonaventure, 13th century. Francis of Assisi, amazing miracles in the 13th century. Hildegard of Bingen was a mystic, uh, one of the uh, forerunners in modern sung worship. She wrote the first, uh, she would sing these uh, like... Uh, uh, like Gregorian chants. She would sing these chants. Uh, she was a mystic, charismatic. Um, Teresa of Avila of Spain in the 16th century. Julian of Norwich in the 15th century in the Dark Ages would see visions and have encounters as she prayed next to her church chapel. Ignatius of Loyola, 16th. Uh, the Moravians had a 100-year prayer meeting led by a man named Count Zinzendorf. Uh, continuous, a, a multi-generational prayer meeting. Um, and uh, speaking in tongues was reported throughout that, and they sent missionaries all over the world, some missionaries that sold themselves into slavery so that they could preach the gospel to slaves, right? Like, this is a mighty move of the Spirit. It's been active. John Wesley, 
had to mentor George Whitfield, and when the Spirit of God would move upon people and they'd get slain, George Whitfield didn't like it. And John Wesley, there's a recorded conversation where he said, no, 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 that's just the Spirit moving. Um, and and that, those are all just precursors to the modern-day explosion of the charismatic movement. Right? So that argument isn't true, uh, that they went away. Uh, it's, they've always been there. Um, but I feel like the Lord is longing for his bride to truly arise. Right? And it's a bride of power and purity. And why does this matter so much? Uh, and and this, is, this is my strong and firm belief and what I've pursued now for probably at least the seven, last seven, seven, seven years of my life. Uh, is that the miraculous inbreaking of the kingdom of God is not a cherry on top. It's essential to the message of the kingdom. It is essential to a people that takes seriously answering and fulfilling the Lord's prayer of thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Miracles are not special. Miracles are not exceptional. Miracles are essential. It's a gospel of proclamation and demonstration because what we're praying and what we've been commissioned is to bring, like Sherrod said, what is going on in heaven into earth. Miracles are exceptional to us, but they're his normal. Like we say, it's miraculous. God spoke to you. (laughs) That's not going to be miraculous in heaven where there's no sun and no stars and no moon because it's all lit by the light of his face. Right? You say, it's miraculous. God healed somebody. That's not miraculous in heaven. That's not even going to happen in heaven because there's no sickness. Right? Miracles are his normal becoming ours. So they're not for special people. They're not for holy Christians, special supernatural ones that have the special giftings. Everybody has been assigned and given and commissioned and anointed to do a life and a, a, a God, to preach the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. And, and we don't demonstrate it. He demonstrates it. And we're going to talk about some of that more. But I'm trying to just lay a foundation that may be different than some of the thinking that we've thought. And if it's, if it's antagonizing or if it's disturbing in your mind, it's okay. Because I want you to go to the scripture and I want you to search the scriptures like the Berean synagogue that wanted to see, are these things true? Because they're true, and the Lord is desiring and greatly desiring to use you to change your world. But he wants to open up new places that, like me, oh, I'm, what else is there? I think I'm good. I'm not sinning. God's like, no, no, no. There's a lot more. Right? And I just wanted to be like, <laughs> I can't say that, Lord. The, you know that song, Dixie Chicks, Wide Open Spaces? <laughs> just... I'm sorry I did it. I went there. That popped into my mind as I was saying that. So someone else can sing it. I will not do that. But wide open spaces. So my goal tonight, uh, I wanted to open up this can of worms. But um, I believe that the mandate of power and purity, it's like fire. It's extremely powerful. Um, But if you do not build context for a fire, it can be extremely damaging. Are you following me? So my hope is to begin, and, and I'll continue in the next weeks, and I feel like this is where the Lord's taking, and even with India, there's going to be a lot of testimonies of what God does. So I'm wanting to build um, a cultural language that we can begin to express and live this mandate in a healthy and dynamic way. Right? We gotta, I want to be able to build a fireplace to put this fire in so that we can harness it for good. Right? Because I think a lot of times, because it's powerful, and a lot of times this isn't spoken to, um, the, what happens is either people take it and they become like Mobley in the Jungle Book. They start running around. They set the whole forest on fire. Fire! 
I got fire, right? And you set the whole forest on fire, right? Or people will witness that and they'll say, you know what? That's just a little scary for me. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go be holy, <laughs> right? Uh, are you relating? You're laughing, so you must be. Uh, there's some poor thinking. Hang on a sec. There's some poor thinking uh, that, I, that I've experienced personally and had and then witnessed uh, around both of this, this mandate of purity and this mandate of power. And I want to address some of it and then, and then try to uh, expound upon uh, where, where I think is a healthy understanding and how to live in the tension and encompassing them. Uh, so the first uh, is, is I'll hear like stereotypes towards people that are really committed to the purity of the Lord or the holiness of the Lord. And uh, they get sometimes uh, called like work-based Christians. Um, they'll be titled legalistic, joy kills, rules-based. Are you following me? Um, and, and I've seen and experienced those things to be true. So they're not like false accusations entirely, right? But they are missing the heart of, of what people that kind of are camped into like a purity mindset can often fall into, which is just they're desiring to be holy. And the truth is that we're called to be holy. And the truth is that we're called to live lives that are examined by the word. Eugene Peterson says that we don't read the word. The word reads us. Right? When you read a book, you're in control because you can put that book down, that book. When you read the Bible, you're listening to the voice, to the author who wrote that book. And he's peering through and his stare and his whisper and his word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Right? And we are called to live lives that are examined to the word. And if what we're doing in practice does not have grounding in the scripture, I would question the practice. Right? Bill Johnson says God does not violate the word. He will violate our understanding of the word, but he will not violate his word. And so we are called to be people of the word of God. We've been given that as a gift to ground us, to test, to, to establish us in the purity of heaven. If you want to understand how God thinks, how God moves, how God thinks, his, or how God uh, lives his life and how he sees things, his perspective, we must be a people of the word. And that's, uh, I think, kind of a foundation for purity. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not, and so sometimes, you know, people that have high value for the word of God are leery of things like the prophetic anointing, right? Well, how, where did you get that from? God spoke it to me. How do you know it's God? I felt it. <laughs> right? Like, it's different oftentimes. People more cognated intellectually. Some people are more emotionally. It's not making fun of either. It's just the reality that there's a pure desire for the word of God. Are you following me? These people, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we need in the body. Purity. Um, and the flip side, you can hear uh, these, you know, for people that are all about the power of God, uh, they'll get titled things like uh, miracle chasers, uh, told they're ungrounded, hyper-spiritual, uh, live in emotionalism, hyper-zealous, overzealous for the Lord. Uh, and I've seen, experienced all these things in the charismatic movement, and I'm sure uh, other people have as well. And, uh, but the truth, uh, you know, actually, I, I want to back up too, is that uh, even in holiness, because holiness and uh, the power of God, they're both acts of co-labor. Right? And they both come through dependence and obedience. Um, and uh, in, in the truth of sanctification, I want to clarify this before I go to this next one, is that 
you're, you're actually living a life alive to grace and alive to the word of God, right? You're not striving for perfection. You're being perfected through the gift of grace, right? And I say that only say is that in the, the life of miracles, that's the truth, the same, is we're not trying to create miracles. We're receiving the miracle grace of God, right? And both of them were both a vessel, right? So that's why it's, it's interesting dichotomy that people uh, are at odds about these things because uh, in all of this, God's the miracle worker, God's the sanctifier, we're the vessel. Um, but but uh, in, 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 in a life of power, in the power camp, Okay, they can become miracle chasers trying to make miracles happen. I just want to see, like, hyper-spiritual. They're not grounded. Where's, like, the, it seems like this mystical world that I can't relate with. Where's that in the Word of God? They don't even read the Word of God. They only read, like, the, you know, they don't even, they don't even know. They just, they read paraphrase translations, da, 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 right? Like, you hear all this stuff, right? All they want to see is miracles, 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 right? Um, the truth, though, uh, and, and, and I think it's true, is that uh, uh, sometimes people, uh, they're not walking in, like, purity, they care more about the miracles than the other stuff, than the word, than purity, than walking, than holiness. And there's this, this kind of fight that goes on. Um, and, and I would say that uh, we do have a license to be bold and not weird in our pursuit of the miraculous, right? And uh, I think Chris Ballatin terms it, uh, you want to be naturally supernatural ministers of the gospel. Amen? Okay, you're getting quiet. All right, so I'm kind of just trying to, like, dump this because I think people have these thoughts, right? And I'm hoping that there's people that resonate on both sides or at least are aware of this dichotomy in the places that God's called you um, because um, they're, those are poor thinking, right? There's, like, this, and you get into this, like, which one do I go for, right? Like, do I go after the spirit or do I go after the word? Do I go after the power or do I go after the purity, Right? And like there just becomes this like tension and it's like people start acting like they're like, you have to choose between them. Right? And if you're like really into the word, you can't move in the spirit. And it's like, you know, and it's just it, a lot of it is our own expectations, our own experiences, and it's not good thinking. Uh, so how do these things go together? It's the main point I want to make. They live in tension with one another on purpose. There's people that are uh, naturally gravitated to one and gravitated to the other that are meant to be that way in the body of Christ so that tension will be uh, within the body. And I think when we lose this tension, we lose power. It's like imagine a bow and arrow losing tension on one side. It's useless, right? You lose power. And the problem is, is that tension takes, it requires humility, because it requires dependence. The reason that we get on one side or the other is someone has a, an experience with the sanctifying presence of God and they fall in love with purity, right? And it's like, my whole life changed. I got sanctified. I used to look at porn and now I don't even want to be anywhere near it. I used to do this and now I just love the presence of God. I love the word of God. I read the word of God. I had an experience with the word and he speaks to me, right? You have this experience and they camp around it and then it becomes everything is about this, right? Like, this is how God speaks to me. And we, like, create this static camp around here. Then someone over here is like, well, I had an experience where I had a vision, and the Lord gave me this vision, and it changed me. And I don't even remember all the details of it because I didn't write it down, but it was like 12 years ago. It changed my whole life, right? But it radically shifted me. That person's like, I hear from the Bible. This person's like, 
I don't even, yeah, it was awesome. I didn't even read the Bible because it changed me, right? Like, and it's amazing, right? But like, then it's like, this is how Christianity works. You have this subjective revelation and vision and experience. You just need to pray for more encounters, right? And this person's like, you just need to get in the word more. And it's like, this is how Christianity is, like, right? And we try to create these little, like, things and theologies around our experiences, or lack thereof, okay? And so the problem is, is we need tension because we have to be alive to what God's saying today. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Today. You need him today. Do you know how many times God messes with my prayer routines? You know why? Because I could get real comfortable. I wake up at 6 a.m. and I pray till 7 a.m. Then I read my Bible here. Then I do this. Oh, I got my whole day perfect, planned out, nice little routine. You know how many times he comes in and is like, I was just like, oh, what's wrong? I can't even, like, where's God? I don't even feel you. I used to, get, I used to think I was sinning, doing something wrong. He was punishing me. What he was doing is he was going and sitting over there and saying, I'm not here anymore. You're real comfortable there. I'm not even there. Sometimes it used to take me like two months before I realized God wasn't in my devotional routine. He was like chilling over there in the Bible, and I just wanted to soak. No, 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 soaking's amazing. I've been experiencing so much, I just soak, and it's like incredible. God's like, yeah, but I'm in the Word, and you're soaking. Like, are, is, is life in your routine, or is life in my voice? Right? Like, this, and he does this. He's discipling us. He's changing us. And we get disillusioned. Where are you? Why, do, you don't even like me anymore. You're not even in my devotional routine. God's like, no, I love you. I love you so much. I'm going to continue to build tension in you because you need to see I'm not confined to some type of box in how I make you look like my son. I'm an artist, and I'm doing a masterpiece in you, and I need you partnering with all the manifold aspects of my grace. His grace is like a diamond, and it takes a whole life and eternity beyond to explore every facet of his goodness and his nature and his working and how he moves and changes us. Amen? So how do power and purity go together? Intention. There's seasons where it's power. There's seasons where it's purity. And there's things where we're cultivating this. And there's things where we're cultivating that. Because we need to be people that are humble and contrite and leaning and dependent and listening to where is God today. Within the overall context of seeing, this is the work that God wants to do. Power, purity, love, all these things. Okay, I'm going to share a story and hopefully kind of ground this in, in what this looks like. Um, probably uh, four and a half years ago, I got activated in a, like, I, I had, a, had a prophetic experiences. I'd given prophetic words before, but I got, like, activated. I remember, I'll never forget, I was sitting in worship, and I was in Africa, and all of a sudden, we're just worshiping, and one of my friends was next to me, and I was just like, I need to pray for this guy right now. I just started praying, and the prophetic word flowed out of my mouth in a way that it never had. I probably prophesied over him for 15 minutes, and I was like, literally, as I'm doing, I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, is this stuff even true? Like, what is coming out of my mouth, right? And he, came, he was like, just like, got really blessed. He came up to me later, said, dude, that was the most powerful experience I had my entire time in Africa. Thank you so much. I was like, thank God, right? But um, after this, I was like, okay, like, something just like got, it was like, it was like someone just shook like some champagne and just boom. And I was like, whoa, who's next, right? And uh, there, was this, uh, there was this whole uh, house. There were like people were portioned out in houses. And there was this one house. There were a lot of my friends 
Um, I'm pretty helpless when it comes to like cooking and stuff like that. So they cooked for me. They're all girls. They like they're like my moms. Thank God. God gave me like 12 moms in Africa because I wouldn't have made it. I forgot a towel. I forgot a toothbrush. I forgot a pillow. I forgot they they gave it all to me. They blessed me. So anyways, I they they really like they they literally blessed me because like oh man I was kind of helpless. And anyways, and I felt like the Lord said I want you to prophesy over every single person in that house. I'd never done that before. I was like, well, what if I start, like, what if I sit down with them and I got nothing to say, right? Like, I don't know how this works. And, Lord, and I just knew. The Lord said, do it. And I believe that faith activates things. And we're going to talk about how to cultivate spiritual gifts and live a life of power uh, in a few weeks. But uh, I, so I did it. I said, okay. And uh, I, I would just, I said, they're like, how are we going to do this? It's like, well, I, you just sit down there and I'll sit down here. And one at a time, I'm just going to prophesy over you. Never done anything like this before in this type of setting. First girl, I prophesied for probably 10, 12 minutes. She suddenly starts violently shaking and weeping uncontrollably. And literally, like, uh, like people have to come around and, like, hold her. And she's just, like, just sobbing so hard because the presence of God came so strong as I'm speaking over her. And I was like, what the heck was that? I was like, I swear I didn't touch her. I didn't do anything. Like, it was just the Lord, right? She looked, Afterwards, she was like, I got delivered. She's like, I don't know what just happened. I, that was crazy. And I was like, yeah, me neither. That was kind of crazy to watch. Um, Anyways, I kept doing it, like, girl after girl after girl. And I was literally, like, things were coming out, like, I was, like, like it was blowing my mind with the specificity, the details. Like, one girl, I was, like, I don't know why I'm supposed to say this, but when you win the lottery, and I gave this whole word of what to do when you win the lottery. She looks at me and goes, did you know I won a game show right before I came here and won $50,000 in a car? And I was, like, no. Like, like, but I was like, thank God, I don't know why I'm talking about winning the lottery so much right now. Like, it was just like thing after thing after thing. One girl, I looked at her and I said, God wants you to know he's expanding your territory. She, so she, she goes, that's been my only prayer for three months. And he told me, start uh, spending time with all your friends and, and praying over them and writing down what I tell you. She had a journal of all her friends. And the Lord said, if you be faithful to pray and intercede and write and cultivate my wor- the word of the Lord for all your friends, I'm going to expand your territory. That was the first words out of my mouth. I was like, holy cow, like this is crazy, right? Like I was on cloud nine. I was like, this is amazing. I got this prophetic gift, woo, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, right? I came back to America and God put me right back the next season into a culture and a climate that I had zero grace to prophesy. And that was what I was on cloud nine about, right? And uh, this is often how the Lord works. This is why he doesn't want us static, right? And there's a, I've heard this story before of when electricity first came into houses. Like they used to burn candles, right? And there'd be burn soot. Um, and there'd be like dark soot on the, on the, all over the house. And, uh, and when you would get your house switched over to electricity, the light would turn on and you would see all that stuff that had been sitting there for all that time, but you didn't know it. Are you following me? Because the light wasn't very good. And some people... When this happens, this is how the Lord does it. He activates power. Then he brings you and he's like, no, let's turn the power on in the house. Look at all that soot, right? And this is what happened to me. I went from all this grace, woo, I'm getting affirmed, this is exciting, to like, boom, no grace. All that affirmation's gone. All that excitement's gone. And now I'm having to look. Oh, there's junk in me. All that soot. I don't know that I like when that light's on. I just want to, that's a lot uglier than I thought. Are you following me? Right? When the power gets turned up, it reveals character flaws. Right? People say uh, power, ultimate power corrupts ultimately. Right? Or absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? There's wisdom in that. 
is saying that power will reveal the broken flaws within you. Right? And this happened to me. And in this season, I had two responses, and I tried to do them both. No, I think I only tried to do the first one, uh, which is you just uh, simply prophesy more. Force your gift into action. <laughs> you don't want it? I'm going to give it to you anyway, right? I don't care if the Lord's telling me to. I have a gift. And you say, how can you do that? The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When he gives you a gift, uh, the only thing that, that will change if you're outside of is the gift will stay, but where you're anointing, it depends on who you're abiding in. Right? And uh, people have, I believe, have real gifts that are getting wrong anointings. There's people that are living in the anointing, and I was probably just operating in the flesh. It's my own spirit. Let me just force you a real encouraging word. Try to make myself feel better. And when you do that, you feel extremely empty. So you can, uh, I don't really want to do that. Uh, but that, that's the first one, is you can, uh, you can prophesy more. Because I don't really want to sit and look at all that soot. Let's just keep prophesying, right? Or the other one is I see this as well. Uh, there's this false humility. It's like, oh, I see all this brokenness in me all of a sudden. I'm not worthy of this gift. I'm not going to do it anymore. Lord, use me to be used in power once I'm perfect. Then you can use me. Once I'm perfect and exactly like, like perfect, then you'll use me to do this gift. That is pride. Because you're saying, once I'm nice and pretty, then you can use me. Once I'm perfect for you. No, they're all, it's all gifts of grace. They're gifts of grace and character transformation of grace. It's not about us, it's about him. Amen? Amen. So this is the truth. Uh, when God, this is why God messes up seasons. You go, you have a season of power, then you go in, you got sit on the roof. This is how you progress into a life of power and purity. It's how you progress into the sanctifying and spirit baptism of the Lord, right? I had this release of power. Now I've got soot in the roof and I've got problems I've got to deal with. That's where you've got to deal with your stuff. Right? That's where you start asking the questions. You go into the hard places and you start uh, partnering with the Lord in that place and he starts working um, on the sanctification. He starts working on the purity in this place. Once you clean up, and that you partner with his grace to, to see the transformation, guess what happens? And he brings you into a new season, right? And there's this partnership. Are you following me? It's this back and forth, back and forth. What happens when you have a release of power? Then you start seeing character flaws. Does it mean your gift's shutting down and you're punished? No. You can sit there and have a realization. God was using me that powerfully, and I was still broken. This really isn't about me. This is about your grace. Right? And he uses that place to deepen and cultivate more humility, more dependence. And you're leaning in, okay, I need your grace. I want to be a holy vessel. You partner with him, you become holy. Then he releases more power, right? And then that exposes. And then it's like this continual journey. Amen? Does that make sense? This is why we do things like journey to wholeness. Uh, this is why we have a value of inner healing in this house, in this movement. It's because if we're not progressing then we're camped at a place that's less than his fullness. And I can attest personally uh, that the prophetic anointing on my life, uh, I operate in a purity that I did not have five years ago. And uh, I, it's, it's just there's a different quality, uh, and it's tangible to me than what it used to be, and you progress more deeply. Um, I'm going to end with this. Um, when it comes to kind of having a grid that I'm wanting. And again, this is a lot of this is foundational. I'm going to go deeper into dynamics in weeks to go. But um, when it comes to this mandate of power and purity, 
we need to approach this uh, with an eternal perspective. And what I mean by that is that the gifts of the Spirit, right, they are given to us, they're gifts of grace. Um, they're given freely, but they are cultivated through work. Um, sometimes people say, like, oh, it's just a gift. It has nothing to do with you. It's a co-labor. He gives you a gift freely. What you do with it is a co-labor. Are you following me? It's like saying, um, like, what Michael Jordan had was just a gift. No, it wasn't. He had an incredible gift, but he stewarded it and became the greatest basketball player of all time. Amen? So uh, it's no different, spiritually speaking. Oh, that's true. So we can talk about that later. <laughs> Don't get me going on that. That would be a long rabbit trail. The gifts are given that we minister to each other. Right? Uh, when we get to heaven, there's no more gifts. We don't need to prophesy in heaven because we're going to see him face to face. We don't need to speak in tongues in heaven because we will see him and know him and be one. We don't need to do healing in heaven because there's no sickness. Right? So the gifts are temporal in that sense. They're powerful. They are amazing. They are incredible. They are essential to our life and our mission on earth. But they're not eternal. The fruit of the Spirit are, are, uh, are cultivated through a life of, of again, by grace, um, but it's cultivated through a life of intimacy with Jesus. The way that you become like someone is you spend a lot of time with them, right? And the fruit of the Spirit are identifying. That's what Jesus is like. And so they're cultivated through a life of intimacy with him. And the gifts are what we use to minister to each other. The fruit are what we use to minister unto him. And... When we spend the time with him and we cultivate and we lean into his presence and we partner with that life of purity and intimacy, we're cultivating the garden of our hearts and we can come. They're called fruit, right? And in Song of Solomon, there's talking about how the, the bride has a garden and she tells her lover, come and eat of the fruit. Take of your delight in me. And that is a picture of the love that Jesus longs for. That's what he died for on the cross was that place of union with you and I. And when we get there, we want to be at a place where we have the maturity and we have a mature, fruitful garden where we can give to him the life that he laid down on the cross. Say, you laid this down, but now take of it in me. And that is eternal. That will not go away. So when we're looking at power and purity, I value purity more because it's eternal. The power is eternal in a sense too, but I think you're following my logic on this. And I believe I, I, I say this um, is not to advocate purity over power because, again, that's divorcing something that God has joined together. Um, I'm saying this because we need to be a people of wisdom, and a people of wisdom are people that live life from heaven's perspective. They see things how God sees things, and so they live their lives how he would. Does that make sense? There's power in perspective. What you see dictates your actions oftentimes. Elijah uh, is with the servant. Elisha is with the servant. The servant looks out and sees the armies coming, and he's scared to death. And there's exclamation points. What are we going to do? That was his perspective. Elisha stood at the same place, same vantage point, but he saw the angels of heaven and he simply said, like, why are you afraid, basically? It was just a perspective shift. 
We need to be a people of wisdom that have perspective. So as it comes to this mandate of purity and power, we need to approach it with heaven's perspective, which of course is going to value the eternal over the temporal. Um, but we, a culture, you can determine what a culture values by what a culture celebrates, right? You can determine what a culture values by what it celebrates. And my desire is that we will be a people that celebrate the fruit of the Spirit just as much as the gifts of the Spirit. Because there's, there's um, it's a test of the Lord because the gifts of the Spirit have sex appeal. You know what I mean by that, Right? You, told, you got that word of knowledge. You healed someone. Like, they, they create this thing, and that's good. I, am not, I do not want that to be quenched. I do not want the excitement of the gift ever to be quenched. But if we're a people of wisdom that see how the Lord sees, we will have eyes to view and perceive and celebrate the fruit and the character and the purity of the Lord in our culture to the same degree. Are you following me? Um, that takes intentionality. That takes eyes that are trained to recognize godliness. And this is important because in the global scheme of things, God exalts character, not gifting. He's after our heart. So uh, my heart is that we will be a people that are a countercultural people because the culture says people with power will be corrupted. People that walk in great power will be corrupted and you can't trust them. That is not the people of God. We're a people of power and purity. We're a people that walk with great power, but the humility to continually go before the Lord and, and, and go to the land of repentance and ask the questions of honesty, even if you know that that answer will convict you and send you into repentance. Because we're not static. We're going after the face of God. We're pilgrims on a journey. Amen? Just stand up. All right. I'm going to end there. Um, I want us to just stand up, and I just want to pray. And uh, while we stand, if you're on the prayer team, you can come forward. Brad, you can put, like, a song on. Makes it sound a little more spiritual. Um, I want to pray um, specifically... Uh, that the, I just felt like Jesus is here tonight as the sanctifier of our hearts. And I want to pray that. And then, uh, and then I'll, we'll close and they'll put a song on. And if you want to receive prayer tonight, I just uh, would really encourage you to come. Um, and I believe that God wants to demonstrate his love. And he wants to demonstrate something. But um, where we're going to be going the next few weeks is I just feel like the Lord wants to activate us in the giftings and teach us what does it mean. How do I partner with his grace and purity and sanctification how do I partner with his grace and being activated in the power of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So that's where we're going. Um, but tonight, I just want to lay a foundation. Um, and I just felt like that the Lord would touch our hearts and put a love for the purity of heaven in us that is just, just all-encompassing. Does that sound good? All right. So bow your heads and you can just hold out your hands like you're getting a gift. Lord, I ask Jesus Christ that you uh, will come and walk through this room right now. And I ask God that you will take um, coals from the altar of heaven and that you'll touch us. And Lord, we just repent that we're a people of unclean lips that live in a culture of unclean lips. 
but our eyes long to behold the Lord. And so we ask, God, that you come, that you touch us with your holy fire, and that you put a love for Jesus in us unlike anything we've ever known. I pray that you put a love for holiness and a, and a hunger for purity that's so powerful that it overrides, God, all the temptations of this life. That we're not just saying no to the world, but that we can't say anything but yes to the purity of heaven. We want to be a pure bride. We want to be the bride that you paid for, Jesus. We want to be shining and, and white. We want to be so pure that we can give ourselves to you without, without limitation, God. So I just I pray you touch us with those coals. Touch our hearts. Touch our lips. And, and just start a work, God, in us tonight, God, a new work, a deeper work, a deeper, a, a deeper, a further progress into your heart tonight, we pray. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.